How do we find and fund solutions to poverty, climate and resource security? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome to episode 83 and thanks for taking the time to tune in. In today's episode, we're talking to Kim Baker, Senior Director of Innovation at Elemental, which funds circular economy and climate tech solutions through a non-profit model. Elemental is on a mission to redesign the systems at the root of the climate problems and it's built a platform for scaling equitable market-driven solutions at the same time uplifting people and communities around the world. Since 2009, Elemental has invested in over 130 growth stage companies. Kim Baker has over 15 years of experience in launching and growing engineered systems into industrial and municipal markets. Currently, she works at the intersection of the built environment and carbon-related investments, together with the design of technology demonstration projects. We find out what sets Elemental apart as a funder. We hear about just a few of the many different types of businesses in the Elemental portfolio, including Trove, Thrilling, Gooder and Wreath. One of the recurring themes is connecting those people or organisations who need things with those who have what's needed. Kim explains how Elemental finds and selects the companies it invests in. And I also ask him about her background and her why, how she came to be Senior Director of Innovation at Elemental. So let's jump into my conversation with Kim and I'll catch up with you afterwards to share what I learnt along the way. Kim, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And could we start by asking you to give us a background to Elemental as a funder and Talk a bit about what sets it apart from other funding organizations. Yes, absolutely. Well, Elemental has been around for over 10 years now. So it was one of the first entities to even think about applying the accelerator model to climate tech and innovation. So it's just been fascinating to watch its growth over time. Elemental is also a nonprofit, Um, so we're absolutely so much more than just an accelerator or a funding agent. We think about things in a systems approach. We know that all of these um, operations and all of these issues are so directly linked at their core. And so we strategize about how to sort of uplift all of the sectors all of these climate-related issues together um, to build the better future that we're all hoping for. So as it stands today, Elemental has about 140 companies in its portfolio. We've enjoyed over 20 exits, 
And we really thrive on spotting that next kind of up and coming entrepreneur that sits across sectors like circular economy, food, agriculture, water, and so, so much more. That sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm almost um, uh, thinking of breaking off to send my CV and it sounds like a great thing to be involved in, um, particularly the nonprofit angle, I think, you know, really sets it apart. So having had a look at the different types of businesses in the um, elemental portfolio, and as you say, there's 140, um, which include Nth Cycle, and listeners may remember that brilliant story when I saw, spoke to the co-founder, Dr. Megan O'Connor, back in episode 67. And I noticed one of the recurring themes is connecting those people or or organisations who need things with those people or organisations who have what's needed. So could you give us um, a couple more examples that kind of help to shrink our production and consumption footprint by making those connections? Absolutely. Megan's a fantastic founder. I'm so excited that she spent some time with you previously. I had a listen to the podcast. It was wonderful. It's always inspiring. Um, yeah, so, so you know, there's a couple of things that go, go into the thought process. Our, our current economy, which we all know is quite linear, um, that's what we're here to talk about and to create change, to help close the loop on that. But in the linear scenario, Elemental really understands and builds upon the fact that frontline communities often bear the burden of that linearity, meaning uh, we've got landfills and industrial facilities located directly in these communities globally. And so a visual to think about this problem as it relates to our conversation today is one garbage truck of textiles is dumped in landfills and burned every single second of every single day. So think about those people in those communities that happen to be positioned adjacent to wherever that landfill is. Think about the air quality, the water quality, et cetera. So through our work at Elemental in our portfolio, there's a couple of things, kind of key issues that we're looking to solve. Absolutely to connect people to things and create jobs and hire within those communities that might be most heavily impacted. And so when I think about the circular economy, it's not just one or two industries. It's everything. Every single thing on this planet can become circular or it can become nature-based. And so we think about it from a macro point of view with the concept of platforms at the forefront. Platforms that will stand up our manufacturing, our industrial processes, our buying and selling of tomorrow platforms for carbon reduction, optimization of all of our stuff, et cetera. And then from that point on, we see these series of sort of acute viewpoints with very, very specific areas. And cycle would be one great example with an alternative to mining or an alternative materials approach. And so then we start to sort of deepen uh, the focus of the lens to think about in each individual sector, what exactly can we implement in terms of technology to help close the loop there? So it's two things. It's a platform approach, building the systems and the structure that we need across the board. And then it's finding those very, very niche sort of direct solutions to help each and every one of the industries that we all live in to, to become circular. 
yeah, that's it. It just sounds like you you kind of um, really you really are thinking about the system's perspective and thinking about what's going to make the biggest difference, not just to the circularity, but to the impact on communities and so on. And you know, I read um, a while ago about how most incineration plants are put in areas where you know communities are already already deprived. So then you know, um, people are purposefully making the decision that it's better to dump all this air pollution here and it's it just seems so uh unjust um so could you could you give us a few examples um of those kind of platform um uh systems that, that you mentioned yeah i'd love to and, and first just a little snapshot if if you don't mind which is i started my career in environmental engineering spent an incredible amount of time in the field and I would always think about it when I when I got in my car and I drove home from the refinery at the end of the day. During the day, I was, you know, in complete head-to-toe PPE, a respirator mask, the whole nine yards. And then I, I got in my car and I drove home. And the people that live within a mile, half a mile, a quarter of a mile of the refinery don't have PPE. They don't get in their car and drive home. And so what are we doing? And that was the kind of light bulb moment for me of these systems are broken. We can clean up the mess, but we also need to figure out how not to create the mess in the first place. So to answer your question, um, a couple of platform related technologies um, that I'll share with you today. Uh, Two of them are focused specifically in the textile industry. And one is a more broad sort of overreaching across the, the board approach. So maybe I'll share that one first. That one is Wreath. And they're a company based in Scotland. And they're one of our newest investments in this space, actually. What they're doing is they're tagging and tracking circular assets. Just like we have the QR codes on everything we see and do now. You pull up the menu these days on a QR code. Same idea. They're building a complete 100% digital platform for our stuff. And so this concept of data and transparency are absolutely critical to enabling us the reuse, the resale, the upcycling of goods. It just so happens that they're working with leading brands across the EU like Marks and Spencer who have these lofty, huge sustainability goals, which are amazing, but there's a gap in the execution of that. And so here comes Wreath into the picture. You need this data, you need this tracking and the AI solutions to actually make decisions that matter. So that's one really fun example that can be applied quite quite broadly across various industries. Okay, and just just before I ask you for some um, some other examples, because I know there are more examples sort of on the um, platform theme, um, and I'm really keen to explore those. But just coming back to your your background, Kim. So you kind of told us about the, um, and I had a sort of similar similar thing, I suppose, when you suddenly realised that you're kind of part of a big problem. In you know, for me, it was a tiny little um, part I was playing in in helping big companies get slightly more efficient at selling selling stuff we generally didn't need um and for you it was about the um you know the 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 fact that you'd got the ppe to protect you from all the pollution but um the community around around the site hadn't um but how did you then kind of go from that light bulb moment to then working at elemental 
It's a fantastic journey looking back. At the time, maybe felt a little differently. I, yeah, so I, I, my undergrad degree is in environmental engineering, and I worked for a very large environmental consulting agency uh, sort of at the onset, which was incredible because it gave me such a bird's eye view of all these various industries and how they operate. I was working at um, PG&E's switch station in San Francisco. We ran a high voltage cable under the ocean along the train, the BART corridor, to allow San Francisco to receive enough energy. So I was at the forefront of that. I was working on greenhouse gas calculations with Dow Chemical before the reporting system was even stood up. So I really got to see some of these now very common sort of sustainability oriented goals and initiatives really, really early on. What sparked the interest for me though, was a project in San Francisco working with green businesses. San Francisco has a fantastic green business program where they run around the city and certify um, young and mature businesses around their internal greening practices. And it was going door to door, business to business in the city working with the people, working with the founders of those individual businesses, educating them, and then helping them implement the change at the end of the day. So that was the, the sort of light bulb that I wanted to do more related to the builders, the people that were building the businesses that create change. That's what Elemental is all about, ultimately, is we support the founders at the core of Everything we do, we want to elevate the founders because we know they're the ones that will catalyze the growth we need to, to, to make it to this sort of green future we all hope for. So after that, I went back and I got my MBA in sustainable, sustainable management. It's a very entrepreneurial program. I started a company after that with a couple of co-founders in industrial wastewater treatment. Again, thinking about the circularity approach. How do we work on site, remove trucking? How do we reuse some of the critical materials that come out of that wastewater, et cetera? And then I went on to work as a senior product manager. So I've worn a lot of hats, which I love to bring to the table when I work with entrepreneurs is they're trying to reach these critical growth paths for their, their company. And then I found Elemental. I mean, I, I sort of just shared, it's really the perfect intersection of the engineering world, the technical world, but also elevating the founders that are really working, you know, day and night to create this change. And so it's it's the perfect marriage of, of everything. I came to Elemental as we started thinking about expanding beyond energy. Originally, Elemental Accelerator was founded as Energy Accelerator, and it was to help Hawaii meet its renewable energy goal. As we discussed just a few minutes ago, the organization at that time, which I wasn't part of back then, but the organization at that time realized energy is also water, which is also agriculture, which is also circular economy. So in order to really create this catalytic change that everyone's hoping for, we needed to think about it sort of across the board. I came to the program just around the time that Elemental was starting to think beyond energy and expand the various sector work that we do. So that's the story. Um, and, and like I said, I've, I've done a number of different roles, technical, business, business development, sales. And so it's really fun to then bring all those various viewpoints and pieces of information to, to the work that we do at Elemental. 
Yeah, it sounds like a, a really kind of um, wiggly journey, as they, it as they is, call it, it now. Is. Wiggly, it is not a, a linear journey. <laughs> I hope that it's not a circular one. But it's certainly not linear. <laughs> Good stuff. Actually, maybe a circular career kind of sounds a bit limiting, doesn't it? You know, even <laughs> even though we think everything circular is brilliant. So, um, just going back to the companies in the portfolio, then. Um, could we talk through another couple of examples that are kind of doing that platform role of connecting those who have with those who need? I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, I'll give you two more examples, um, both of which are a little bit more focused in the textile industry. The first company is Trove. Trove is based in the Bay Area in California, and we worked with them starting about three years ago. And we did this just prior to a significant fundraise. So they've had great success in the past couple of years. And what Trove is doing is allowing big name brands to take control of their resale marketplace. What they're doing is they're creating an entire secondary market. And I personally am a huge believer in this. I love when I can go online with companies like Patagonia, Lululemon, REI, and find something that has been given a second life, essentially. So what Trove is doing on the back end that, that you and I as customers maybe don't see is that they're a white label technology. They're providing end-to-end -end operations for these big name brands to be able to effectively pull off this resale marketplace. It is it is not an insignificant logistical feat for them to do it. And Trove is taking that, um, you know, internalizing that at their company. So again, they've had fantastic growth. They're working with these huge brands. What we did with Trove during their project with Elemental really rings true for a lot of companies related to the circular economy. We focus deeply on the concepts of equity into their company. And what I mean by that is built an entire hiring plan for them to educate, upskill, hire local talent directly in those communities where those incineration plants might be, like we were just talking about. And so they've had a fantastic journey just related to staffing and growing the company that way. Wow, that sounds that sounds really good, and um, yeah, it's funny. We were uh, me and my husband were talking about Patagonia's Warnware site last night, because um, of course I'm always extolling the virtues of it, but he keeps reminding me it's only in America, um, and his view is um, uh, being being the kind of um, uh, black and white view person that he is. His view is that that's just greenwash. You know, they're making a big thing of Warnware, but. It's only for a for a certain market, um, so I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? That you, you know you can't, if you're going to walk the talk, you have to make your entire circular economy solution scale out to all your operating countries and so on. So um, maybe I'll get round to <laughs> sending them a, <laughs> a yeah, we'll an email or something. Yeah, we'll get them over. I mean, that's something that we think about deeply at Elemental and through the work that we, we do. So we co-fund projects, demonstration projects, as we call them, which we did with Trove. And in some circumstances, the goal of those projects are simply to open a new geography because we know that it can be very difficult to enter new markets, the regulations are different, the buying habits are different, et cetera. So sometimes we'll really support them through that transition from a policy standpoint, from a hiring standpoint, from a 
you know, an operational standpoint, really kind of think about how all of those dots can connect to make it easier to transition the company over there. So someday it'll happen. I know they'll, they'll come over there at some point. But the good news is actually there's more and more companies that are able to fill this gap. So hopefully this will become a mainstream solution across the world. There might be four or five various companies that fill each region. Um, but I think it's a really important note to see just how, how fast they've grown, um, even if it is here in, in the U.S. primarily. Yeah. And I do think that, the you know, I noticed there's a, quite a trend now in particularly with the high end brands of having a resale option on their own site. Um, and I think knowing the provenance of the of the goods and kind of knowing that you've still got the the quality and the customer service and so on of that brand sitting behind it. I think that that is much more reassuring for people who want to try having more pre-used stuff. It feels much better than, you know, as as I have to do if I want any um, pre-used Patagonia stuff, I have to just put a search on eBay and wait till the right thing comes up and then, you know, hope, hope I can bid in time. Um, well, it's so true and it demonstrates commercial pull. And that's one of the, the leading indicators, we think, I think, of a success factor of a company. If you're seeing that commercial pull from those big name brands, even if they're doing it in their own way, it's showing that there's a need out there mm. in the world. And that's really important. That's something we look for as we're doing diligence on, on various companies to fund. And it's also something we track over time through what we call commercial inflection points. And at a certain point, we hope that the companies will become market leaders and that they are the leader. They are the ones pushing those big brands to do that. But until that point, those big brands making a move of any kind is very important. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. We just we just need we we've really got to change mindsets away from new being the only thing, you know, or or pre-used being substandard somehow. That seems to be the exactly. biggest biggest shift yeah. that we can um, exactly. we can make which which seems to be to be starting to happen. So, um are there any other examples that you that you'd like to share in terms of those I'd, platforms? I'd love to. It's another textile related company. Um, and it's called Thrilling. It's a company based, again, here in the U.S. We worked with them about two years ago from the onset. We're just wrapping a project with them now. So we did a demonstration project with them as well. And a little fun fact before I share a little bit more about Thrilling is there's more secondhand stores across the United States than Starbucks and McDonald's combined. That's over 40 thousand secondhand storefronts in the U.S. Wow. alone. And most of them are owned by women and people of color, as it turns out. Sheila is the founder of Thrilling, and she's an incredible force. She's got a big vision. She's a really humble leader, but she's got an incredible sharpness about her, about number one, how to engage her team, but number two, how to elevate those 40,000 secondhand stores that are primarily owned by women and people of color across the country. So what she's done over the past couple of years is created an online marketplace for secondhand vintage stores. She's covering now, I think, close to 1,000 stores in 200 U.S. cities. And what she's built essentially is a network 
store to store so that now she's got a one-to-many model where they can uh, understand what everybody else's inventory looks like. They can buy and sell across the platform to each other as well as an online platform to sell to a consumer. Again, like you or me, you can go online, have a one-stop shop platform online that then opens the doors to those various shops across 200 cities in the United States. What was incredible is we saw this business just take off during the pandemic. If you can imagine, many stores were forced to close their doors. And all of a sudden, Shilla and the team at Thrilling became the like livelihood for all of these small business owners across the U.S. because it became one way that they could still receive income to their communities. So she's she's enabling small businesses at the very core of what they're doing. And what's really fun is she's partnering with market influencers like Beyonce Stylist. And we've seen her in various blogs and, and I think Vogue recently as it relates to fashion. So it's the concept again that we you just talked about it. It's cool. It's not mm. it's not sort of like second fiddle to, you know, what shiny object you may buy off the rack. It's cool to buy something that's vintage. It's really exciting to support a small business owner and their celebrities now that are on board that are doing it, that are building this trend. And so through this one to many model, she's just really provided opportunity for the entire vintage resale market to grow. Mm. Yeah, I think I just find it fascinating, the whole thing about fashion where people kind of, yes, you need to sort of look like you're part of your social tribe or whatever, but people are trying to be different by buying new stuff. But that new stuff is available to a whole load of people. Whereas if you're buying vintage and kind of, you know, creating your own your own look from other things, that's much more likely to make you stand out as somebody creative and, and individual and different. Um, and yet, you know, most people just seem to follow follow whatever the celebrities of, of you know, are showcasing from some big brand um, and then wear it once or twice and then that's the end of it. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that, um, you know, this, this new trend and, and particularly the influencers kind of get on board and show people the power of, you know, creating their own individual look from, you know, whatever vintage whether it's whether it's um well everything comes back doesn't it i noticed platform boots were <laughs> were in some right. photo shoot and i was had my head in my hands <laughs> so great okay so um one thing we haven't talked about is how elemental finds and selects the company companies it invests in yes so let me provide a high level overview of the application process what due diligence looks like for us internally, and then how we go through the selection process. We run on a cohort-based model. And what that means is we'll do a call for applications one time per year, and we'll fund up to 20 companies at the same time. So not only are we looking for portfolio fit, thesis fit across the work that we're doing, but we're also looking through our selection process when we get down to those sort of top 20, that peer-to-peer -peer learning model. So one example is 
a company might have a really strong operations plan. Another company might have a really clear understanding of how to engage with a community partner. And another company might have 100 customers already. What we want to build is a collaborative environment across companies that are non-competitive with each other so that they can learn from each other. So we're looking for that variety of strengths so that they can come together and say like, hey, this is what's keeping me up at night. This is the really hard thing that I can't figure out how to go for you guys. And ideally, the answer is always within that room. So a little bit about the process itself. We do this call once a year for applications and we see well over 500 applications typically. So it is a competitive process. We'll narrow it down as we learn a little bit about the company, understand if there's a fit or not. We'll invite a sub-selection of those companies to move on to kind of another round of diligence, which is another round of us asking them various questions, et cetera. If we still are excited, we're still feeling like it's a good path forward and there's sort of mutual benefit to be had, we'll invite them to what we call an interview stage, which is probably, you know, it's very common at this point. And so we'll talk to the team, we'll talk to the founder. We, we want to understand their big vision and the inflection points that they're hoping to achieve through the work with Elemental. And then we'll talk to customers and investor references. At that point, we will move forward and fund up to 20 companies per year. And this year we're going through the process right now. So it's a really busy, but super exciting time of year where we're learning about everything that's out there in the world. And um, we'll fund this year either $300,000 or $600,000. And that depends on which track of the program the company is eligible for and selected for. The $300,000 is a nine-month coaching-based engagement. And typically, it's companies that are looking to solve for things like market intelligence, sales and operations, growth plan, fundraising plan. On the flip side, the $600,000 is for companies that tend to be a little bit later stage, and they want to achieve a commercial demonstration project. So Trove and Thrilling are examples of project-based companies um, that we are doing a project with or that we did past tense. We just finished them. And Wreath is in what we call the strategy track, which is that nine-month coaching-based work for companies that are, are looking to, to kind of build out what that growth plan and trajectory will look like. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Thanks for, for talking that through. Um, it's re just really interesting to get that kind of um, outsider view in. So, Kim, in the process of, of or the, the time that you've worked at Elemental, what kind of things have you struggled with or what surprised you the most? It's this part of it. It's what we just talked about, is that as we get towards the end, we see so many fantastic entrepreneurs and really big, incredible ideas. It gets personal. We build personal relationships with the founders, regardless of if they're in our portfolio or not. The world is, is quite small, actually, in that we see them at various events, et cetera. And we absolutely want to support in every way possible. But sometimes the right fit is not actually through our funding. And so that discussion and those decisions get really, really hard. 
And what we have to come back to time and time again is alignment, alignment based on our values and alignment based on where we know we can catalyze growth to reach those commercial inflection points that are so, so important along these founders tracks. Yeah, I can imagine that gets um, really difficult because you must get close to people as you're discovering more about what they're doing and then it, and you know because in in the end it is a competition even some of the ones that you love might just not come quite as far up the um up the scale of of um of the criteria and think about um you know if you were sitting next to a a business that wanted to start going circular or an existing business that wanted to be more circular what would be your number one tip that you'd share with them Great question. Can I get two tips? Can I have two tips? All right, <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. got two. The first is I would say time is key, especially when you're a startup, when you're really pinching pennies and, and sort of watching when the door is going to close. Time is key. Find the partners that are ready to make a move with you, that are ready to join on in some capacity and agree to do some action with your company, not just talk about it, do something about it. So that, that is number one. I see a lot of talking. I want to see more action on the partnering side. And then the second one actually goes back to what I was talking about in the beginning of kind of how we see the sector and the work that we do. I would encourage companies specifically when they're fundraising, to broaden the lens. They're not just a carbon company. They're not just a water company. They're not just a circular company. You do not have a good company because it is a circular solution. You have a good company because this is the business model of the future. This is the only way to have a sustainable business in the future. So I often tell people, lead with the business case, lead with why this makes sense for investors, communities, and corporations. It's incredible that it's a circular related solution or an upcycling solution, but lead with the business case because that's what creates the stickiness between the investors, the customers, and the community that shows that future path is even possible. Yeah, that's that's just a brilliant tip. And I think so often you see companies talk about what they offer or what they do, but not the why, not why, why should you do it this way? Why should you choose pre-used pre instead of brand new? There's, there's nothing to kind of help people understand the bigger picture, really, in terms of the right. business case. Yeah. So fantastic. Thank you, Kim. And who would you recommend as a future guest for the program? Well, we talked about thrilling, so I'll start there. Shilla's founder story is just incredible. Um, it's just incredible. I won't spoil it, so I will absolutely connect you to her and I'll let her share with you. And I'll also suggest a company that we work with that's based in Africa. It's called We Center. Bonnie is the founder and his founding story ties back to laptops in schools for Kenya. So that was top of mind because I know you just spoke with a previous guest on, on computers and they are creating a, a similar type of platform actually for people's old electronics that have been discarded throughout the country of Africa. And he's working with various large corporations across the EU and, and even further abroad. So lots of good stuff to learn from Bonnie there. Yeah, great. And my um, 
partner at, at Rethink, Peter Desmond. He's the co-founder of the African Circular Economy Network. So he's always happy to get more circular economy examples from Africa as well. So oh, that's incredible. Well, Bonnie just stood up a circular innovation center in Kenya. Um, I don't know when or how. I don't think he sleeps much, but I'm sure that's of interest as well. Yeah, it sounds like it. So great. I'll, I'll um, ask you for those links afterwards. And Kim, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing sort of overnight to create a better world, what would that be? Such a good question. I would love a magic wand to help everybody internalize everybody else's lived experience. This is something we think about a lot in terms of the founders. Have you walked a day in their shoes? Like that concept of it, right? Do you know how hard it is for them to do X, Y, and Z or to raise money or to get a meeting with a large partner, perhaps, that they're hoping to have an action from instead of sort of just supporting from an arm's reach? You know, we really want to understand these things that may so often be afterthoughts for, for everybody else um, because no one's experience is the same. So I really think that shared experience would be the magic wand. Mm, I love that. Thank you. And lastly, how can people find out more and get in touch with you and Elemental? We're always excited to connect with the outside world, whether it's through career pathways. Our companies are always hiring. We're always hiring. You can learn more about our five-year strategy and our impact through reports that are located. All of this is on our website at Elemental with an E, ElementalAccelerator.com. We have various blog posts um, that myself and other team members put out into the world. Some of them are specifically about the work that we do or about what we're looking for in our next investment cycle. Um, and some of them are, some of the blog posts are about the companies themselves. There's a great one that came out a few months ago about Nth Cycle. You could check that out. So that's also on our website. You can find me personally on LinkedIn, Kim Baker on LinkedIn. I'll share the link with you. You can you can add it to the notes there. Thank you. That's that sounds excellent. So Kim, that was a fascinating insight into Elemental and a few of the many businesses in your po portfolio. So thanks very much for sharing that with us. Oh, it was great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Kim mentioned Elemental's commercial inflection point scale a few times and she sent me an article explaining that in more detail. Elemental reviewed the maturity scales that are typically used in the investment space, including the Technology Readiness Level, TRL, developed by NASA in the 1970s. Although these scales are used by organisations far and wide, Elemental realised that the scales often stop at the market introduction or launch stages. Elemental saw that the technology launch milestone is often just the beginning. In their experience, the launch of the product or technology is actually only the end of the development cycle. After that, there's often a major funding and expertise gap. Elemental says this is when the really difficult work begins, when startups are deploying technology with customers in the real world. The lessons from those initial deployments are critical, and the company's ability to integrate these learnings is a critical success factor. You can read more about Elemental CIP scale in the full article, Minding the Climate Tech Gap. I've included the link in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. 
I was impressed by Elemental's focus on helping the communities affected by what's going to change in the transition from a linear economy to a circular or zero carbon economy, and how it's looking to find ways to bring jobs, better services and so on to the communities bearing the brunt of those impacts. And I love that Elemental is a non-profit organisation. I was also interested to hear about the resale trend, and there does seem to be a growing trend for brands to have a resale option on their own website. For example, Resale Fridges, Selfridges in-house resale model, Lululemon that we mentioned, together with Levi's, Eileen Fisher and others, especially in the outdoor clothing and gear market. Kim talked about commercial pull as an indicator for investment. Let me unpack that a bit. For example, if leading brands are starting to offer something like resale, even in a small way, then that signals a wider demand, a commercial pull. When there's evidence that the commercial pull is emerging in the wider market, it shows there's potential for a startup to tap into that. I love Kim's example of the thrilling platform for small secondhand stores, and it was fascinating to hear about Elemental's cohort approach and how that enables founders and their teams to help each other on topics that they're struggling with. Kim also talked about the importance of collaboration and partnership in her first tip, find the partners that are ready to make a move with you. Her second tip was about leading with the business case. So rather than badging your startup with a need or trend, such as low carbon or the circular economy, explain why your idea is the business model of the future. And by the way, Elemental is an investor in EnthCycle, which has developed clean technology to recover critical metals from e-waste and mining. It's an amazing story, and if you want to listen back to my conversation with co-founder Dr. Megan O'Connor, check out episode 67. Quick bit of rethink news. You probably won't be surprised to hear progress on my book is at snail's pace. Excuses this time are several days' work on an Emerging Trends article, which has reminded me that collaborative writing projects are great for opening your eyes to new insights, but take much longer than doing your own thing. So thanks for listening to another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Kim Baker of Elemental, and thanks to Blanche Minoza for making this episode possible. Most of all, thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and colleagues. And it would be fantastic if you could spare a few minutes to leave a review to help other people find us. You can find out more about Kim Baker and Elemental and check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it, and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. 
we've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies, or for a market sector, or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com, and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two, or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities, with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice, and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn.